In this episode, I have a conversation with Sarah Files, who is the founder and owner of Journey of Life Home Health and Hospice. We ran into some technical problems, but as Sarah does in her business, she rolled with the punches and we were able to talk about her founding the company, some of the stresses that come with starting a Medicare certified business, how her team uses LinkedIn, and how she overcomes all the obstacles that come her way. Enjoy this episode with Sarah Files from Journey of Life. But we are, we're good. We can record for forever at this point. Yay. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, we're, we're going to start over. Okay. We are recording and. Oh, good. You heard me whisper into the microphone. We heard your, your sweet nothings. <laughs> okay. We're back for episode number two in the limited series podcast. Um, I've got. Sarah Files with me. Sarah, thank you so much for making this whole thing, this whole production work, even though it was 10 minutes ago, it was falling apart at the seams. Thank you for having me. And no, it was not. <laughs> we ran into, we, we have some lost footage that we'll never get back, uh, about 20 minutes worth of great content. So Sarah, uh, like I said, appreciate you being flexible <laughs> to make this whole thing work. It was amazing. You know, <laughs> do what we can. I'll, I'll get after my producer later. My, yeah. t- my tech guy, the tech I guy. I will definitely write a letter. Cho- choice words <laughs> when we finish this thing up. Do you want to introduce yourself and talk to us a little bit about Journey of Life? Sure. So I'm Sarah Files. I'm president and CEO of JOL Healthcare, previously known as Your Home Healthcare, back in 2013. I'm an occupational therapist um, I was going into people's homes doing home health care for quite a few companies as a contract therapist. And I'd walk into the homes and the patient would say, well, my nurse came in and took a blood pressure reading and then she left. And I thought, this is not good. Um, it's not good for Medicare and it's not good for the patient. And it shocked me. And I thought, wow, if this is happening, you know, over a bunch of different home health companies, something has to change. So I wonder if I could do it better. So I researched how to start a home health company. (laughs) (laughs) And if I knew then what I know now, uh, (laughs) might never have punched in how to start a home health agency in Google. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But I did. And I prayed about it. And I said, God, if the doors open, I'll walk through them. And if they don't, then I won't. And the doors kept opening. Uh, It was really, really tough. Um, I was super naive back then. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that I had a vision of, you know, starting a home health company and seeing people walking through the office. And I could, I I just saw it all play out before it even happened. And um, so started going through the motions. Um, I refinanced my car to get started, thought, Oh, I'm in business. I have, you know, <laughs> I have enough money now. I think it was $7,000. <laughs> and then I started researching and it, 
I had to have $78,000 on hand the whole entire time I was trying to get accredited through. Just 10x. Right. <laughs> I was like, how in the heck am I going to do this? Um, and so I went to a bank. I got my business plan and projections together. And uh, it was a bank in town in Kyle, Texas. And I said, um, I, said I, I need a loan. And he basically told me to give up on my dreams like nobody was going to give me a loan. Um, because this is a service-based industry and I didn't have any collateral at the time. And um, it was just fuel for my fire. I, I went to about 30 different banks after that, and they did all tell me no. And luckily, I found Texas State Small Business Development Center in San Marcos, and they helped me beef up my business plan and projections and introduced me to a micro lender who was able to give me the money. So that's it's a really interesting, and I know... Maybe in our lost footage, we were talking about this, but it's it's an interesting home health and hospice. Maybe just all post acute is interesting because it's um, there's not much um, there's not a lot of capital up front to start it, but Medicare has a lot of expectations that they do make it rather difficult. It's it's more more of a high barrier to entry than I think you might expect from a service based business, and so it's. Um, that's crazy that you had to go to 30 banks, by the way. That's yeah. like a Howard Schultz level of uh, persistence. Well, I am pretty determined. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we have been, we've, so we've been, uh, we've known each other for about 10 months. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I do know that about you. You are a determined individual. How did you, how did you pick Kyle? It sounds like you were around the area there. You were living there to begin with. Sure. So I was going to school in Ditton and I wanted to move to Austin, somewhere in Austin, because my mother-in-law lived there, and I knew when we had kids that we wanted to be near her. And so um, she was living in the Round Rock area, and somehow we ended up in Kyle, which is about 20 minutes south of Austin. And uh, It's like where they filmed high, Hell or High Water. Have you seen that movie? Probably. <laughs> You'll have to go back and watch it, and that's what okay. I imagine the banks that you were going to at the time. <laughs> No, they were, they were, I, I love some, South of them Texas. Were, some of them were state banks, some of okay. them were local banks. Like happy? Uh, ha <laughs> I didn't have to drive my horse up there. <laughs> put, put your horse up for collateral. Yeah, I didn't have to do that, thankfully. <laughs> In fact, they didn't want anything from me. They were like, you are absolutely not going to make it. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. But if they could see me now, yeah, I'd be like, ha ha. Just send them the pod. <laughs> I'm going to. Amazing. The proverbial middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take this take this wave file. That's right. Um well yeah, so you started off um in twenty thirteen. You offer home health services, you offer hospice services. So I started hospice in two thousand sixteen. Okay, so you started that um, three years later. I was seeing high acuity patients who were not getting better and they needed to go to hospice. I was sending them out the door. I really wanted to keep them on service and, um, you know, be able to take care of them as well. So I bootstrapped my hospice. I put everything into it that I made from home health and started that in 2016. A little bit easier the second. It's a different business. So it's kind of like you're running two separate businesses. Was it easier to start hospice? No. Shaking it was, your head no. <laughs> it, in fact, it was harder because I didn't know hospice. And I... I was interviewing all of these people who I thought would be a great fit uh, in management, and unfortunately, they weren't. And so it was very difficult. In home health, I, 
I knew home health. I had been in home health. I had experienced home health. And I did not realize how different hospice was. And it it took me a lot longer to get hospice off the ground than I had hoped. I don't want this to sound negative. I feel like home health is very much a high-touch, impactful business, but it is a business. I do know hospice, you can turn a profit, but it is more of, from my experience, folks view it as a calling. So I do this because this is what I would like to do with my life. Um, is that a fair way to describe it, or is that being unfair to home health? No, it is. I think that um, I think in hospice you are helping people that have absolutely no idea how to deal with dying and how to deal with transitioning their loved ones over to the other side. And if they are not called to do that, it, it's very difficult for them to work in in that type of environment. And so you have to find the right people in hospice or it just doesn't work. And you mentioned that one of your folks has a hospice podcast, right? Yes. Can we plug them for on, on, the, on my pod here? Yeah, that'd be great. So Amy Wright is doing a podcast called Hashtag Dead. And it's going to be a podcast about all of the experiences you go through with death and dying. And it's supposed to be a lighthearted, really funny type tongue in cheek, just to, just so you, you know, death is so heavy. And so she's making light of it. And it's, it's going to be a really amazing podcast. And I encourage everybody to look it up and listen. Not out yet, right? It's not out yet. It's being recorded as we speak. When I was traveling around visiting hospices, I did not come up with this, but everybody always, there was a, as a chaplain and he, one of the funniest things that he thought was, you know, hospice is great. Everybody's dying to get into it. <laughs> so true. That's my dad joke. For the, That's today. terrible. <laughs> really funny. It's told to me by a chaplain. So not from my mouth. That's, that's funny. You mentioned you've got two service lines or two, pretty much two businesses across mm -hmm. four or five locations. I'm, you said four, right? It's, it's four. So I have one in Kyle. I have two in Leander right now. Home health and hospice are spl split there. Um, and then we have Temple and uh, we have home health and hospice in Temple as well. Okay. Um, when So my hospice in 2016 was called Journey of Life Hospice and Palliative Care. And people were getting confused about the name Your Home Health Care because they, patients would go into the hospital and they would say, I want your home health care. And the doctor would say, I don't have a home health care. And they would say, no, your home health care. And he goes, but I don't have a home health care. And the patients would get <laughs> pretty upset. First? Or they would say, I want your home health care. And they go, oh, okay, I'll send them to Encompass. Or <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which we love so Encompass. We love on, Encompass. Uh, yeah, we love Encompass on this pod. <laughs> yes, we do. And so... It was hilarious, but I really needed to change the name and I wanted to streamline everything. So in 2018, we decided to group them together and restructure um, and call it JOL Healthcare. Which I like, yeah, I like great. JOL. Thank you. Flows. Yeah, I think I so. I want JOL. I want JOL. In the hospital, send me to JOL. As you were starting and growing the agency, uh, you mentioned having to tap a Congress woman um you mentioned having to run this thing with you know while burping your child um <laughs> can you talk can you talk to us about both of those i think both of those are really interesting things as a part of just growing a business sure when i first started um you have to have a certain amount of money in the bank and 
Um, while that was happening, you also have to see 10 patients for free or pro bono. And you have to keep seven of them active before they come out to accredit you. And so while all that was happening, I was hemorrhaging money. I was paying all my staff. I was paying for supplies. And so I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. So I contacted Congressman Lamar Smith and asked the office if they could help me. And what should have taken about six months to a year took me five months. And I became Medicare certified. Which is no easy, from, from my understanding, is no easy thing to do especially even in six months to a year sounds fast. It is. It is. It, it typically takes closer to a year um, to get done. So I was on the phone all day, every day, trying to make sure that they had all the information they needed to get my, um, to get my application and all of the things that they needed to go through. Because you're, you're running a business with no income, not being able to bill, no income at all, while still paying your staff, probably paying rent, paying for supplies, doing all the things that a normal business would do, and you're having to do it with essentially free patients. Correct. So I think, you know, and I didn't have, a, you know, you have to be competitive in home health and hospice because there are so many. And so to pay your staff what other people pay is is a super big challenge. I mean, I, could, I couldn't do it when I first started. So I think the people that first started with me believed in me so much that they were willing to take less during that time and um, and really got behind the cause. And, you know, I still today, one of the biggest things for me is if you work for JOL Healthcare, you have to believe in what we're trying to accomplish. And that is to give better care, to make sure that you're not just giving clinical care, but you're also being compassionate to the patient and listening to them. And, you know, if there's a plate on the side of the, you know, desk from lunch, take it to the kitchen sink before you leave. It just such a it, small thing goes so far. And I teach every single person to do that. I've, I've had letters come back. Thank you for changing my smoke alarm. Um, you know, one of my PTs did that the other day. Or thank you for going to get on my golf cart and chase my dogs down the street to bring them home. That also happened. But it's, it's, going above and beyond so that you make them feel significant because in this life all you have and all people want is to feel significant and so that is a huge part of my business is you're taking care of them you may be the only person they see all day long make them feel significant so every year uh medicare who is a primary payer for most every agency out there mixes things up on both the home health and hospice side. So if you overcome one obstacle the next year, they come up with something different to keep you on your toes. 2020, they had the new payment model. 2020, the universe had a pandemic. 2021, they take away some of the, um, what's the right way to put it? For, for someone who has no experience with home health, they took the wrap away. In home health, Previously, previous to 2020, you had what is called a wrap and a final when you bill for Medicare. The wrap is we used to get 60% of the Medicare allowable. And then after the 60 days, we would bill your final and then you would get the additional 40%. What they decided to do in 2020 was to decrease that down to next to nothing for the wrap because they were getting ready to in 2021 take that wrap away 
They also started PDGM, which is Payment Distributions Groupings Model. And what that did was it took your 60-day episode and turned it into a 30-day episode. So if you were seeing orthopedic patients who were maybe on for two or three weeks, you only had the 30 days to collect on those and then they would go to outpatient. So a lot of companies took a big hit on that because they expected to get the 60-day payment. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of people would get that 60-day payment on the ortho patients, and that would cover some of their high-acuity, you know, wound care patients or, thing, you know, patients that they weren't necessarily going to make any money on, and that would help cover that cost. Well, that all went away, so you had to become you, – you had to pivot yeah. really quickly. Did they all feel like they hit at the same time? PDGM, the pandemic, and then this no no rap? I think I think the since the beginning of twenty twenty it's just been one hurdle after another. Um, you know, you haven't talked about the snow snow apocalypse yet. Um that I was happened gonna a get few the, weeks yeah, ago. It, well it delayed it delayed the podcast. <laughs> it sure you know? did. So it we're sure for sure did. gonna call it out. Uh not to mention all of the political BS that we've been, you know, been through on top of everything else. On top else. of that. And I mean, and just, it's just been a huge challenge since 2020. The podcast that I did with the Hall Accounting Brothers, they talked about some of the different programs that have gone on since the pandemic. Were you able to take any, you know, advantage of PPE or payroll protection or any of those uh, government funded programs? So we were able to take advantage of PPP. We, it was a blessing for us. It was it allowed us to keep pay, keep employees on um, that ne- we weren't necessarily going to be able to keep on from the PDGM hit and from um, the wrap being uh, reduced. And so that was a blessing. Uh, when when they first reduced our wrap, we had to cover all of that cost. And so it was very difficult in January and February, we had to get a line of credit just to make sure that we were able to cover the costs of that, of not receiving that uh, 60% up front. And so um, that was a blessing for us. And it allowed us to, um, like I said, keep our employees on. And I'm sure it brought you some, uh, some stress and I'm sure your CFO, I'll, probably had some <laughs> some gray hairs growing. <laughs> yes, I do think he got a little grayer uh, from 2020 to now. Um, I'm sure that uh, that it wasn't easy for him, but he was amazing through it all and kept us going and we're in the best financial position we've been in thus far since 2013. So I'm grateful for him. Um, so I follow JOL on LinkedIn and you guys are active and you've got I mean, you've got a presence on there. I thought one of the, I saw a picture of you standing next to uh, a giant of a human, Tony Robbins. Yes. You look, you look tiny. <laughs> He's a big You man. are kind of a tiny person. <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, since I'm 6'4", I, you know, everybody yep. is a little, usually shorter than me. But, um, so you guys are, like I said, you're active on LinkedIn as a community home health and hospice. Is that an important part of what you all do? Do y'all put a significant amount of effort into it? Um, what does that What does that do for the business? We do. Uh, we do value social media so much, especially since the pandemic. 
uh, we did have to shift because we weren't able to go into referral sources anymore, um, not the same way we used to. And so social media became the main way to connect with our with our um, referral sources. And so we hired a marketing and branding girl who uh, has really showcased our employees really well, um, has posted uh, experiences through social media that have, um, you know, greatly impacted the community we've done. We would do community events prior to social media, but you did never know that JOL was a big part of those community events. But now we're showcasing all of the community events and it's really bringing light to what JOL stands for. And it's not just a company that, you know, helps patients, but we give back to our community members, uh, which is so important to me. So on your LinkedIn, you talk about impacting a million lives through home health and hospice. Maybe it's not through home health or hospice, but it's just impacting, positively impacting a million lives. In a really fragmented market, how are you guys, how are you achieving that goal? What are you guys looking at the next couple years to make that a reality? So I always knew that I wanted to have children and I wanted to help people and I wanted to help as many people as possible before I leave this earth. And Muhammad Ali always said, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. And I thought in my business, what would scare me? And I thought, what if I could help a million people before I left this earth? And if I could do that, how can I do that? And so I thought, that's going to be my mission. I want to positively impact a million lives through home health and hospice. And I want my team to figure out how many lives they want to impact within that million lives. And so it came about that that would be our core passion, our core mission is to help a million lives. And even if we got close to helping a million lives, but we didn't necessarily achieve it, I knew that I would achieve my goal through that. So, and we decided that that would be through organic growth and through acquisition. And, you know, we have been really searching for good companies to purchase. And it has been such a challenge in home health and hospice because there are a lot of financial backers, a lot of large companies that are purchasing all of the small companies. And here I am, a relatively small company in comparison, um, trying to do the same. Uh, but not with a financial backing. Our plan was to go SBA, buy a small one, show that prove to the market that we could do it and then do it again and again and again. And uh, so we've been through about 14 uh, letter of intents and we have not been able to get across the finish line. And that's um, all from 14 like very recently, right? Yes, that all happened very recently within the last year. And um, it was for one reason or another that we couldn't get them across the finish line and really didn't feel it in my gut that they were the right companies to purchase anyways. But trying to find the companies to purchase um, has been a huge challenge for us. Um, so we've been sticking to organic growth and, um, and hopefully in quarter three of this year, we'll make our first purchase. Absolutely. And you have to be careful in a service-based industry because what you're purchasing is essentially the team. If you don't have that team, it could all fall apart. Your asset could be 
could leave. <laughs> and you essentially bought nothing. Um, you know, because if you don't have a team... You're buying goodwill. You are. And, and how do you, you know, transition into the the new company and how do you not make changes too fast and how do you make sure that the people that are there trust you and to to you know give them peace of mind that that you're not there to change everything you're there to make it better um that's been you know a high topic of conversation when we do talk about acquisition is you know who is the leadership team what what do they provide how long have they been there what are they doing for the rest of the company is it sustainable if the new owners or if the old owners leave is the whole uh you know is the whole home health or hospice company going to dissipate because they're you know they followed the dreams of the owner that's a real a real uh you know something a real threat something to think about yeah i did hear i did hear you probably run into this a lot maybe not a lot i hopefully hopefully not a lot (laughs) But there was uh, one of the consultants that I had that I've worked with over the years. Um, she had mentioned that they were doing some due diligence and they were sitting with the intake team and they were kind of evaluating what patients were coming in. And the intake coordinator said, oh, well, you know, we're not going to take this one, but I'm going to send it down the road. And they said, down the road? I said, yeah, it's the other agency that the owner owns. So he was he or she was going to sell that existing entity and then reroute all the patients to the other entity, which was across town, that was being completely kept, you know, separate from that agency. I think that it doesn't surprise me that people don't have morals and ethics. I I can't believe someone would do such a thing. That's horrible and. I truly believe in karma. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm smiling while telling that story, but it is not that I is mean, not positive. That's it was mind-blowing to me cuz oh, I don't insane. do the due diligence. I don't I, I'm not a part of that. And so hearing that was so shocking to me. It but is. Kind of does make sense. I it it's incredible what people come up with. If they would spend all of that energy putting into something positive, I mean, they'd probably a lot uh, be a lot better off than, yeah. than than going that route. But it doesn't surprise me. There is so much fraud and deception, and I mean, it's it's insane. It gives the good companies a terrible name. Well, we we talked before we started recording, and I mentioned it being such a fragmented market, which I think everybody knows, which is why there's so much money. I think coming in, you know, private equity groups coming in trying to make a name for themselves here. Even the largest companies right now, they're only accounting for three or 4% of the overall market. So there are, it's such a high need for home health and it is so fragmented. Um, don't know where I was going with that, but you know, <laughs> well, the baby boomers are getting older and there's going to be even more of a need. And I think people are forecasting and reading, you know, there's tons of articles out there saying that, you know, you better get into healthcare, especially home health and with the pandemic and all of that. Um, one of the things that, and, and you mentioned this before, nurses can, or therapists can really just move from company to company. What do you typically look for when you're hiring and trying to build your business around your core values, kind of who you are as a person and have that amplified out into the community? What do you look for? How does, I mean, how does that function? Like you put a lot of effort into hiring. Um, can you talk about 
just the process, what your team looks at, what you want to reinforce as a part of building your, your company? Absolutely. So a few years ago, I read a book called Traction by Gina Wickman, and it's a systems approach on how to develop your team and how to put processes in place. And you look at the data and the analytics and you create rocks. And I mean, it's just an amazing systematic approach to running your business. And it really changed my life. Um, When I first started this company, I was, I, I say this in quotes, just an occupational therapist looking to make a difference. And what I didn't realize was that hiring employees is the hardest part of building your business and creating your business. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, you're a nurse? Come on over, (laughs) which was a huge mistake. I don't recommend that if you ever start a home health company. (laughs) They need to know home health and they need to know what they're doing. It's, It's such a difficult business. I really learned that the people that you hire need to believe in your core values. So when I was doing traction, or in implementing it into my company, we created our core values based on people already in the company that we admired. And we said, okay, what qualities do these people have? Let's write them all down and then take the top five to six um, and make them our core values. And so, so based on those core values, it was passion, compassion, professionalism and collaboration and we every time we go through the hiring process we look at those things and we say what are your core values what do you want in a company that you go to work for and if they can name some of those core values then typically they're a good fit and if they can't name those core values then they really don't belong at JOL they also have to be behind the mission and the vision you know, if they're not here to be servant leaders and to positively impact patients, then they really don't belong in our company either. And they typically weed themselves out pretty quickly um, because our company is pretty tight knit and our employees do have they they want to raise the status quo for home health and hospice. They want to make a difference in these people's lives. And um, I'm super proud of them. You know, it's been Neat getting to know you over the past year. Um, you've got a great company. I will continue to follow you on LinkedIn. Yay. I'm looking forward to your next post with Tony <laughs> Robbins. Thank you. So, Sarah, thanks again for making this whole thing possible. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.